Fuck. I forgot. <laughs> also, I like how the last like 17 searches of my YouTube have been Panther Roar. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, that? is it rolling? Yeah, it's rolling. Cool. We're good to go. This is the one I want, though. Okay, so you're listening to Heat Seeking Panther. I'm Miles. This is Dave. I'm Dave. Here, Miles, I actually, I, I made another one. Oh, us. oh, well, okay. Hold, hold on. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not proud of this, but I did this. Dave, I'm not proud of anything that we've done on this <laughs> podcast yet, so uh, that's fine. Okay, get ready. You can hear me holding my phone to my computer. Yes. No. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, featuring featuring Billy Corgan. <laughs> Bring him on. He should be our next guest. I wonder what his favorite Cage movie is. He probably so many. I feel like uh, this is an insane insane hot take to, to just throw out there. But I feel like I feel like Corgan and Cage would get along with each other. You think so? Yeah. I feel like they both occupy the same kind of space in popular culture. They're extremely misunderstood. Yes. Like. Uh, highly charismatic, like, you know, artists that have followed their own muse oftentimes to the detriment of like their critical or commercial career. Yeah. Uh, and they don't really care and no. they're just going to keep doing whatever they want to yeah, do. They never give up. I, I would do a Corgan cast to be honest. I, I have a lot of thoughts and opinions and feelings uh, about him as a person. I, I have my limits, Dave. I would have to, I would have to pass on this Corgan cast. Yeah, that's fine. I, I, I don't even know if I would have guests. It would just be me rambling. <laughs> I could get through like half of melancholy. And then after that, I'd what? be like, okay, I've, I've, I've done my oh due my diligence on this. God, don't start with me. I'm not. <laughs> I actually don't want you to. You actually did not. I you don't want to start with you at all. ended. <laughs> A door is good. Um, anyway, uh, we're talking about Gone in 60 Seconds today um, uh, with uh, Leah Harper, who we can't reach by phone right now for some reason, um, but uh, she should be calling in and, uh, and, and giving us some astrological insight into Nick Cage's personalities, person, well, personality. And, uh, no, I, I think plural yeah, is multiple. acceptable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, and she also requested to be on this movie, and I have no fucking idea why. So that's that's a mystery for later in the show. But uh, let's let's get things going. Uh, Gone in sixty seconds. I watched it this morning for the first time since the year two thousand. And yeah, this uh, was actually the first Cage movie so far that we've covered that I saw in theaters when it first came out. I thought you saw Face Huff. No, I never saw it in theaters. Oh, yeah. Wow. I saw this as this was a rental for me. I didn't go to theaters. I don't know why we saw. I feel like we were trying to see something else and then it didn't work yeah. out. So we were like, well, this looks mildly interesting. Yeah, it's like the er movie for that. It's like you were like going out with your friends in high school and you couldn't get into an R rated movie and you wanted to go see something. You're just like, yeah, this, this looks good. Um, so <laughs> sounds it's fine. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> so, same reason I saw Torque in high school, which. Ooh. No, Torque, Torque is. Uh, is many times the movie that gone in 60 seconds. Is, is it really? Yeah. I I'm a big booster for torque, uh, a movie that is little loved, but, um, should, should really be rediscovered by people who like high octane, uh, cinema and, um, just in just it general, my it, favorite genre of cinema, dude. You high octane. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even, nobody knows. Nobody knows how, how fun torque is. Uh, uh, unless they've seen it. Um, I feel like you could do a, a Gone in 60 Seconds torque crank triple feature. <laughs> oh, fuck. And you'd probably be really amped oh. by the end of it. Okay, but here we're going to get to the, the the real heart of this conversation because before we started recording, you said that y you enjoyed this movie and uh, watching it this morning, 
I did not. I I I hate. I really. I I don't know if I hated it, but I I really did not enjoy it. Um, yeah, I, I I don't understand how you could hate this movie. Yeah. Like, I understand why you don't like it, or you think it's not great, or you don't ever want to see it again. But I mean, it's just so. It's like. I mean, it's a Bruckheimer production. It it is and, like yeah, it, it's like textbook Bruckheimer. Right, and so in in that respect, I think. It's just done. It's fun and it's done well. And honestly, you know, from like a from a high octane heist film, I don't really know what else you want from it. Well, that's the that's the thing. Um, it is uh, it, there's nothing. There's no original. Like okay, for for a movie that I, I came up with this burn in the car for <laughs> for a movie that fetishizes like custom cars so deeply, like there's. Everything about this movie is stock. The story is stock. The the chases are just literally nothing happens in this movie that hadn't happened in another movie. And that no, there's no, like for me, I, I didn't get the sense that there was any like misguided passion or, or anything behind this, which is like kind of the, the thing that I, the, the bone that I can throw to something as shitty as like Firebirds or like even like Guarding Tess, which I think it was worse than this movie, but like. I it, should hope so. Yeah, but, but at least like, at, at least like something like Zandali or something is, is like a, an interesting mess. And this movie is not a mess. It, it is, um, it, you know, it hits every beat that it's supposed to hit, but it, it's so boring. I, I was bored by, by everything. Um, oh, here, I just, I just, Leah just hit me up. All right. I'm, I'm going to call her. You can respond. Okay. Yeah. No, that's kind of, that's kind of what I liked about it. Cause like the thing that stuck out to me about like Xandalee is that, yeah, it was a mess, but it was interesting because there was no real prior, like you didn't know what to expect or what you were getting into. Whereas with this, it's like you knew exactly what you were getting into and it delivered. And so that's, you know, like it it delivered like Domino's delivers though, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, but that's my point is when you order from Domino's, you know what you're getting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that it's not, uh, Hey, hi, hi, Leah. Leah. It's just me on screen now. This is awkward. Um, Can we readjust it? Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Um, You have to sit closer to me. We already started arguing about this movie because I I don't like it, but Miles likes it. Um, Well, I think like is like, I mean, I is like strong. You what? No. What what were your feelings? No, no, no. Okay. I liked it. I think that you're, I think that you're confusing my appreciating how succinct it was with actually thinking that it was a good film. Uh Uh-huh. You know? (laughs) Cause I mean, it's literally like, it's gone in 60 seconds. Like you, when you put it in and you start watching it, like, you know, like, you know what you bought. So enjoy it. But I, I think, you know what you signed up for too. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not like you're being taken by surprise. Like you put it gone in 60 seconds and it spits out like, you know, isn't it Jerry Bruckheimer? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I was saying. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, L- Leah, you asked to be on this film. So wh- why this film? <laughs> because it's so fun. I just, I think it's really fun. Okay. What, what's fun about it? It's a guilty pleasure. Definitely. You know, in similar, the sim, I feel the same way about this that I feel about hackers. Both have Angelina Jolie in it. Hackers you know, rules. Hackers rules, but this also rules in a different way. It's not quite as, I think if this one had more dialogue, you would like it better. Really? Cause I feel like they did a lot of talking and, um, just, it was I, like the whole movie I feel like was like, scenes of like two or three people like boosting a car and like kind of like talking at each other about nonsense. Yeah, that's tight though. And then, yeah, like but, that's cool. That's what I liked about it. That's the scene. That's the whole scene is them like walking to the car. They like get in. It's like blah, 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 blah. And then the car like pulls out of screen. And that that's like, that wasn't exciting for me. It's like literally a checklist. Like the movie is a checklist of them getting the cars and you see a car for a second. Okay. Again, that's put it in a warehouse. Again, it's a Bruckheimer film. So I think, I think we're just, I think we're confusing a little bit. Like I think it being a Bruckheimer film isn't good enough for you is the problem that, yeah, I think that's the thing because people, people level against Jerry Bruckheimer, a, a, a bunch of, 
Like, like this is this is the kind of film that people throw at him in, in, in as, uh, yeah, as something that is like, yeah, just st- substandard. Like before you got on the phone, Leah, I compared it to Domino's. I said it's just like it's like you order from Domino's and you get whatever you get Domino's and you know what you're getting. No, but I think the problem here is that you were expecting something besides Domino's. It, well, were you, you know, were you expecting like Papa John's or Pizza Hut? Yeah. No. Well, here's why. Here's why. This was written by the same guy, uh, Scott Rosenberg, who wrote Con Air, also a Jerry Bruckheimer movie, and in my estimation, one of the greatest action movies of all time. And I, I like Jerry Bruckheimer's, like, like the... I, I don't mind his aesthetic world, which is, like, oversaturated colors and sub-Tarantino-like quick edit and close-ups of like tools like doing things and and stuff like I and and like needlessly moving cameras at all times like I'm fine with that like I it it's fun if I feel like um if it sucks me in in some way and and I just I just feel like there's nothing about this movie that excels beyond just the baseline of what it needs to be, which is, which is fine. Like, like you guys are like, it's, it's not, it's not bad, but it's not interesting to me in any way. Well, I think part of the problem is that there's so much, I mean, you know, just like fast and the furious, there's so much car dialogue. So if you're not a car person, you, you know, this just doesn't really work in terms of like, I didn't know what the hell they were saying most of the time, but I'm like, okay, they're doing car talk. Like, you know, they're doing that. And I think that if they had made that a little bit less than it could have possibly been better. Cause I mean, if I, if I was a car person, I was watching this, I feel like I would just be like drooling from the side of my mouth, but I'm not. And that's what, I don't know. Like I wanted more of, um, Duvall, and I thought that that would have made things a lot better if, if he had been more prominent, I guess, if he had talked more. I agree with that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I wanted more Duvall. I wanted more Timothy Oliphant, too. Yeah, like, I know. What a waste. Like, he's he would have been... he. I mean, he was fine with what he got, but I feel like they could have flushed him out a little bit more um, and just made him not just, like, the detective sidekick. Yeah. See, I, I, I think it's it, it, it's interesting that you're saying that it's almost like the movie was too technical when mm-hmm. I feel like this movie was so dumb and it spelled things out in such like, like there was that scene. But see, they did that so that you could enjoy it without having to know to about think, all the car having to think. Yeah. Period. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking about like when there, there's a part where a character is like, he's like, why do you call all the cars girl names? And he's like, Oh, it, they're, they're code names so that if people hear us talking about them, they don't know we're talking about stealing cars. And it's like, no shit. I yeah, know. Yeah. I know. Like, I, I just. I mean, but that's that's the part of the fun. I feel like that's part of the fun when they over explain things in that way. It's kind of like, well, of course. But for them to say it, it just feels like they're playing into it more. You guys are right that it, it is it is what it is. And like, <laughs> and it, it's just like. I don't know. I, I wanted, I, I wanted it to excel, um, the blueprint and, and, and be more than, than what it was. And I feel like it, it was, it just was the blueprint. It just like, it wasn't even a finished product to me. It, it was just like, it, 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 I disagree. Yeah. I disagree. I think, I mean, it obviously was in no way, shape or form, like a totally fleshed out complete film, (laughs) but I think they definitely gave it more than they had to, to make it just work on a base level. I think that it was a little bit more than that. Okay. All right. I mean, not, not a lot, you know, like they're not having crazy, like existential conversations. (laughs) It definitely doesn't go deeper than than any, like none of the characters is anything more than two dimensional, like literally none of them. Yeah. And also I wanted more family drama between Nick and uh, Giovanni Ribisi and the mom. Mom, Cause the the one scene with the mom, she was, I mean, I don't know. Grace Zabriskie's like a really good character actress in almost anything she's in. And I wish that they had spent more time with the family dynamic with her, but uh, the cast is stacked again. Like, it's another like you know they pulled in a lot of good character actors who like money and um <laughs> like and th- then kind of like didn't really use them yeah in fact i feel like they didn't even okay this is this is a bit of a digression but but 
this is the first Cage movie I feel like that we've seen where Cage doesn't the movie didn't need Cage to be exactly what it was. Yeah. Like, you know, like there have been past examples where Cage saved an otherwise bad movie or didn't save it. Or but, even like sunk. Yeah, uh, but like at least was was an integral part in making it work or making it worse. And even in right. movies like Wild the Heart or Raising Arizona, uh, where he was, you know, like the the director or the writer, there was already, already had a really strong voice, but Cage brought another dimension to the character that made it even better than it would have been. But I feel like in this one, it's like, like so, like Cage was there, and so what? Yeah, I could have been anybody. That that being said, it he actually the first choice. I don't know. Actually, it's yeah. a good question. Yeah, he, he was. was. I mean, I mean, he definitely had the box office power at the time to like make it. You know, to make going yeah. after him for something like this yeah, worth I, it. I, I mean, Bruckheimer had done The Rock and Con Air with him, and they had both been huge money makers. So this this was a very like you know get the get the screenwriter from um, from Con Air get Cage. We let's remake a grindhouse movie from the seventies about stealing cars. Cause it's cool to steal cars. And, um, and, and there's your movie. Like, I mean, I guess the word that I, th- I think we can probably agree on is like, it, it is competent. Like this movie is like really competent. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't hit any bum notes for sure. It's like it, but it almost, I think my problem is that it just feels, it felt like it played it so safe. You know, like, like stylistically, Dude, he drives a fucking car off of a, a, a tow truck ramp over of a course, bridge. How is that playing it safe? That's he the, has to, that is a, awesome. That is such a, a cool fucking scene. Cars. It's because he has to drive a fast car to, over things and try <laughs> like that's that's like if he hadn't done that, then it would have been a failure, but it wasn't a failure. It was just fucking boring. Like I didn't think that those car chases were cool. They were, uh, well, I don't think they all were. I think the last one in the, when he was in the Shelby, that that was a, that was a really, that was a good car chase. Like I liked when the, the, the like tank of whatever, like, uh, got like, Oh yeah. 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 Flew at him like a missile. I thought that was better than the car chase actually. Yeah. Oh yeah, and it, like it's like, just there, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I did that." Yeah. yeah. Oh no, I was talking about the when he, the car chases is go, he's and oh like, and they're so, it's and, like a some sort of pressurized tank gets like a hole in it and shoots oh, like a big okay. missile. Yeah, like that was a cool. Stunt. And then it like knocks the police car through yeah. the wall. Yeah, yeah that, that was cool. cool. Yeah. Okay, so uh, on on Cage's performance, um, it was not well received. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> this movie was not well received in general, but. Um, he was pretty defensive uh, about this. Uh, well, okay. For one thing, he got paid $20 million to be in this movie. Oh my God, man. Um, which, you know, go, going forward, we're going to watch kind of a, a long slide into him making a bunch of movies because he needs money because he spent his money so poorly. And I, I want to remember this, that like, he got paid $20 million to drive fast cars, which is also like his favorite thing to do. Like yeah. he, he, part of why he wanted to do this movie was cause he wanted to do his own driving stunts. So like, Oh, did he? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's yeah. actually cool. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. He like went to like stunt driving school to like learn how to, <laughs> how to peel out and stuff. That's um, sick. Yeah, if you were able to make $20 million doing your favorite thing and (laughs) you still have to work for the rest of your life, um, you have to work. Like, you really fucked up. Um, But, um, okay, Uh, he was so so defensive. Well, first of all, he said that he... um, he he really wishes that actors' salaries weren't public knowledge because he's like <laughs> embarrassed, um, and that you know he he's made a point of his career to do uh, smaller movies and stuff, which is true and which he continues to do. Um, but he he wrote an article for the Evening Standard um, defending his decision to make action films, um, which where, seems weird. You know, like it's like when someone is like really defensive about something that no one even brought up. And it's like, why are you, why are you immediately 
like jumping to that. It's just because he won an Oscar and then he he immediately took a right turn to. Yeah, do but this how many stuff. other like that's this is I know that's the thing is this is a common occurrence for actors. Like I th- I think doing big budget blockbuster action movies is just something that they should that like actors should stop feeling ashamed right. about or apologize for. No, it's like if, that that's your job. If you're getting paid twenty million dollars to do it, it probably is a sign that you're good at it too. So like yeah, just so but I mean that's basically what he says, and I, I'm gonna read a couple of. Uh, of quotes here. He says, when I won the Oscar for leaving Las Vegas, I made a conscious decision that I would do smaller films as well as big action blockbusters. Uh, I, I was in the middle of making The Rock when I won the Oscar. Afterwards, I thought it was best to forget about the award, not get high on myself, and not be, risk becoming pretentious as an ask, actor. I hope I'll continue to make movies that are thought-provoking and emotionally challenging, but I don't want to start smoking gitanes and saying I will only do that. I, I don't know if I pronounced that right. I assume that's a c- cigar uh, yeah, it's or a, a tiny cigarette. I think it's like a tiny European cigarette, <laughs> but I'm not positive about that. Um, and uh, blah, blah, blah. Audiences are smart and they want to go to action movies that, and they want credible performances to make the illusion more real. I want to believe that this guy can drive this car that fast. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I believed it. I did. He can. Yeah. And also I didn't realize he did his own stunts, but that actually makes his presence in this movie a little more understandable. Yeah. Um, so, and, and th- this performance, I guess what he was trying to do, cause he's always trying, part of what I really enjoy about him as an actor is he's, he, he always has some sort of like intellectual, like exercise or angle it seems. And, uh, he was trying to be like Charles Bronson or Steve McQueen, which, um, he says, I was trying to copy a certain mode where you try to do as little as possible and see if it's still interesting. That that's actually really interesting to me that he says that because yeah. I think it's he did it. He did what he was going he, for. He did it. I don't think it was still interesting. No, no. I, no. I, I, I don't I mean, think he succeeded. But maybe that that's the movie's fault, or maybe it's his fault. Well, or, or, I or, I think it says something about just genre pictures in general yeah. that you know a lot of the acting choices are contingent on the fact that you have preconceived expectations for what this movie is going to be. Mm-hmm. So you're focusing on, well, how well do they do the car chases? How well right. do they do the action scenes, you know, uh, and all that sort of like window dressing that makes the genre film, the genre film. So you, you, you can kind of get away with like experimenting or trying something different with your acting style and it'll still it, it won't like derail the picture sure. um, because like, you know, honestly, I mean, as much as he is the star and, and he, this was a cage movie when it first came out, if yeah. it's even, you know, it might be less remembered as that now, yeah, but yeah, it's remembered as a right. Rockheimer movie, but, um, but you know, he, uh, he set out to do that kind of acting and he did it. And, and I think he, I, I, you know, I mean, there's something, I, I don't want to like elevate it too much, but, um, he, he is trying in this kind of like mid point of his career to later point of his career to do less more. Yeah. And, and also it, it reminded me sort of, I'm trying to think of other like action. I mean, this is like crazy on the nose, but some shit like bullet, yeah. you know, like, no, no, totally. like it was, it was clear to me that he was trying to play a sort of like Steve McQueen yeah. where he's so scaled back and like low key that he's more badass than if right. he was like wiling out the whole time, you know, that, that works. Yeah. I did believe he could drive those cars fast. I did. <laughs> right. I did too. And, um, and I, I even kind of believed him in Angelina Jolie. I didn't believe that at all. Yeah, I, I mean, I know. That's not believable. Yeah, it's totally not believable. Also, she. Well, first of no, all, okay. But, but I, I just think their their chemistry was okay. I think that's like that. No, no. You didn't think I'm, so. No, it's. I mean, I, I didn't want to interrupt you. You can you can finish. Your no, thought. that's fine. I'm, I don't. I'm not gonna die on that hill. I, I I especially when like their big scene together is that fucking ridiculous scene where they're watching the couple have sex so they can steal their car. Yeah, and they're like, I love that. And I and that. he starts like talking dirty to her. He's He's like you have clutch to, master yeah yeah about the crankshaft and whatever like it's just yeah but i, I, I she gets over it and like steps out and he's just like he's like good on the brakes or something like that which was was cute um uh there's there is, i think it's funny too that angelina looked like a like an extra from like a late 90s alternative rock video yeah that hair that was hair. wild <laughs> 
She's good, man. I, I I didn't realize that she was still kind of on the ascendant in 2000. Dude, honestly, this hackers. She this already movie, had an Oscar, I think. Oh yeah, from, um, Girl Interrupted. Girl Interrupted. Yeah. yeah, which yeah, the which hack, she's fantastic. In she's that great movie. in that movie, and I think this movie and Hackers and Girl Interrupted is like the perfect Angelina mm. trifecta. Yeah. And, and then after, what did she, I'm trying to think of what she did like immediately after this. I don't know. Like Wanted, but I can't remember when Wanted was. I think that was a few years later, but that was another kind of action. She went into action films, I think at the same time. Tomb Raider. Yeah. Oh, when yeah. was that? When I, I think that was in like the early 2000s. That's around when, uh, when you two made that, that, uh, that comeback album that was, connect, <laughs> that was connected with it. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's kind yeah, of yeah, two thousand one. Two thousand one. She did a really good job with a part with a. I mean, just a nothing part. I, I I've, again, I think everybody's part was like just a two dimensional, uh, underwritten nonsense. But I will not disagree yeah. with that. But she, um, she was great. She has so much charisma. I, I, I mean, honestly, a lot of the actors like did a good job. I think the main problem is it fell into that whole thing when they get too many um, well-known people in a movie and it's just not going to, there's just, it's almost like there's just too much energy that they can't properly give each of them their time to. Right. Which is like, uh, again, weird for me because the, uh, Scott Rosenberg wrote Con Air, which is like, I think the biggest strength strength of that movie is that it's an ensemble picture and it's a movie with as many great character actors and it really gives them all like distinct personalities and gives them time and they're, they fit into the story well, even if the story is silly. And this, you had a bunch of people doing good work, yeah. but not really memorable characters. Um, like... I mean, what I, when I started to, I was like bumming on this movie and then it hit that like thing of like time to assemble the, the crew, time to assemble the crack team. And I was like, Oh good. Like here, we're going to, now we're going to get going. But it was just, I don't know. Like there was the dude who was the driving instructor and I liked him. Yeah. He was funny. I, I loved Sphinx. Yeah. Was- um, Vinny, was it Vinny Jones? Is that that actor's name? Yeah. 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 Um, he was good. That's one of the things I think the movie did well is that the heist film trope of like, you know, the montage, like getting right. the gang back together. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then of course, like he, you have the one girl and he comes and they have a history and she's like, get out of here. I don't want to see you again. You then, then like, you know, and then that's like their only interaction. I'm going to go star in this Bush video. <laughs> I don't know. Like sort of sound garden. One of those. Bands. No, I think Bush, Bush was dead on. Uh, you could tell though. I felt like that scene was pretty good because she didn't, I don't know. I feel like if they really wanted to make it stereotypical, she would have punched him been like, you get out of town, man. You know, she mm-hmm. would have been like even more aggressive and she wasn't, she was just, she, you could tell that she was still into him, but she was yeah. just her and she, you know, takes a shot and she's like, yeah, drink whatever you know and so i felt like they gave they gave that a better chance than you know having her punch and be like what do you think i am a, you know whatever and then that sort of trope yeah i mean I, I guess that's that's what i did like about what about it was that um or what i found credible is that they didn't go from her like hating him to loving him and you find out that the reason that they weren't together anymore was that he went straight and that she wasn't ready to go straight, yeah. but she has now. So it did kind of make sense that it was yeah. just like, oh, we haven't talked in a while, but now we're at the same place. So yeah, um, let's uh, break down the, the plot just a little bit. Um, and uh, it shouldn't take too long. Giovanni Ribisi is Nick Cage's brother. And the movie starts with him pulling the worst car, like high car hijacking <laughs> ever for no reason like why maybe i missed this but like why did he have to steal that car that flagrantly for (laughs) well because they had to get the shit they had to get the order in they had to get the order in so it's not like he had a choice of which car they had to they had to get that specific car Uh now why he had to throw a brick through the dealership window yeah that seems a little bit uh he was an amateur. I thought that's what they were trying to showcase. Yeah, but okay, he, okay, he, okay. He that was an makes amateur, sense. and he had an ego because his brother had done this. So he's like, you know, I can do this. Watch me do this. Right. Oh like, yeah, because then right, 
Right, because then he tries racing the guy, yeah. which is like you don't you don't race someone when you're driving a stolen car. No, which, right? Okay. Yeah, okay, that that makes sense. That makes sense. Thank you for explaining that, Leah. And, that makes yeah. way more sense to me now. <laughs> and and yeah. he so uh, he he gets in trouble with um, the the big bad guy. Uh, what's his name? He has a really good name. It's like Cipher or something. No, it's not. Um, it's, uh, Ray, Raymond Kalich. Kalitri? Raymond Kalitri. Raymond Kalitri. God damn. Dude, the names the in names some of these cage movies. Memphis, Memphis yeah, like, Reigns. Yes. So good. <laughs> and then like Angelina Jolie's name is Sway. Sarah Sway. Sphinx. Yeah. yeah. It, it, um, there was someone named Mirror Man. <laughs> Wasn't there someone named Tumblr? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. Someone, someone named Twitter. Uh, someone named Facebook. Someone named Pinterest. Um, Raymond Kalitri is going to kill Giovanni Ribisi's character because he's because uh, he fucked up. And uh, unless he calls, so he calls uh, Memphis Reigns Cage, out who's of gone straight, right? Running a running a go kart like a children's go kart. Uh, a gas station in the desert. Yeah, yeah. that that was ambiguous. He's a good guy. He's yeah. a good guy. And, Quietly. Uh, Formed. Right, and and we learn later that he he went straight at the request of his well his mother because she didn't want Giovanni Ribisi to follow in his footsteps, but he did anyway. So um, so one last job and <laughs> to save his brother to save his brother. That is one thing I, I did appreciate about the movie is there is almost no exposition. Like within the True. first six minutes, like Cage is already you know, yeah. in and like they're ready to go. Again, very competent, right. very workmanlike. Right. Like these guys and like the stakes know what couldn't, they're doing. Yeah, and the stakes couldn't be higher. So like they were, you know, I feel like for anything less than his brother's life, Cage would have been like, I'm retired, fuck off. Yeah. So they did set it up in a way where it's believable that this is the reason he would get back into it. So something, I, I don't want to harp on this forever, but um, something I think we're going to explore as we go uh, down this uh, slide into shittier and shittier action films um, is like whether I actually uh, enjoy a really a competent like by the numbers action movie like this more or less than a really lumpy stupid shitty action movie that at least kind of like feeds my brain a little bit in tearing it apart. I I feel like this comparing it's like a new problem. Yeah. Oh, it's it's all yeah. It's all about me. That's pretty much it. I mean, I I would say, and also I feel like it it's it's you can't compare the two. Yeah. You know, they're coming from two totally different places, and there's room enough in my brain for both of them. I <laughs> the think. world's big enough. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, it's not like why I, not both? Yeah, exactly. And like Cage certainly did enough of both of them that we could pick and choose. <laughs> well, I mean, we can't. Yeah. Dude. We have yeah, to do all of them. The but best of. <laughs> yeah yeah there's no anyone else can choosing. pick and choose right? yeah. <laughs> we we can only light the way um all right so then he's got to steal a giant order of cars in a really small amount of time F- or 50 cars 50 in like cars. 48 hours yeah. or something it's absurd um or else they ever said why it was 50 cars specifically is that just a random number that was thrown out that's or? the order that raymond kalitri has to send uh, he has to bring him to the dock and send him away to um, wherever people because he was an amateur originally. So he's like, Oh, you, you know, you really want to be a car thief. All right, go steal 50. I dude, I don't know. I mean, that's part of that exposition that, uh, they so, uh, wisely left out. It yeah. Just, I guess the, you just have to leave it to your imagination. Yeah. He's just, he has to, um, <laughs> and then he does. Nick Cage does, and he get he gets the band back together. He gets the band back together, and they do. And there's a cop that tries to get him, and the cop almost gets him, but lets him walk. Well, he lets him walk because Raymond Kalitri um, is going to kill the cop for getting too close. And Nick Cage fucking like karate kicks, kicks. yeah, he kicks him over a balcony, falls five stories into a coffin. That was so cool. That that was cool. The, the 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 one the weird tick that they gave Raymond Kalitri is that he really loves woodworking. Yeah, he's he, he's like he's a skilled amateur carpenter. <laughs> when Nick Cage is finally facing off with him at the end, he like threatens to like Not my chair. Yeah, he threatens to destroy his his like uh, yeah chair. When he throws that chair at him, I was just like, oh my god, wow, this is really what it's come down to. I really appreciated the um, the chair being thrown. That part was. 
I, I liked it too. And, uh, and it, it was cute seeing, uh, him die in his own <laughs> coffin. Um, and, and good guy that cages, he, uh, he lets the cop know about the giant order of 50 hot cars going out. Um, yeah. so, um, something I did notice, uh, when he's looking on the list of, you know, old crew members to get back together. Yeah. He crossed off a name. I noticed this too. Henry Santoro. And the name Frankie Fish. Yeah. Frank. Wasn't Fish dead? Frank Santoro. Wait, what? No, Rick. Rick, Rick Santoro. Rick, yeah, it was Rick but Santoro. But Henry Santoro. But I still think that it's not a coincidence that those. That's that. Uh, yeah. Rick Santoro. Uh, was, his, was his character's name in Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes. Eyes. Mm. Um, Nice. Real cage heads. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> um, I should have wrote down all the names on that list. All the names in this movie. Were I think in order to amazing. keep things interesting for us from now on, Dave, we have to just find like bizarre to, Easter. Yeah. Some sort of lattice work between right. all of all the uh, lesser cage movies, assembling it into one giant universe. Then you can weave it together at the very end and just have a giant board of all the connections. Yeah. Just uh, thumbtacks and string. It'll be like that scene from It's Always Sunny where like Charlie's yeah, in Yeah, that's exactly what it was thinking of. <laughs> yeah. Whoever, whoever the guest is for like, you know, USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage, whatever, the time we're near the end of the line. We've just... My, my wall is just covered like we've just like sharpied yeah. like <laughs> just like it written in our own shit on like the walls just like feral fucking men children let me uh since since you guys loved this movie so much and think it's the best movie um let, let me just throw you a, a couple of scenarios and uh i mean it's it, no it's no fast five <laughs> but no it's honestly not um <laughs> <laughs> it's it's at the very least it's no Tokyo. It's no it's, Tokyo, it's no drift. Tokyo <laughs> drift. I'll say that. Um, let me throw a couple scenarios at you and just um, just get your take on them. Uh, a dog eats a bunch of keys for no reason, and they yeah. have to feed it uh, uh, X lax, and then the dog poops out the keys, and then um, they. Oh my god! I loved the scene where they're about to get jumped, and the dog finally is about to release his bowels and get the keys that they need, and the guys like has his hands full of dog shit and these these thugs are just like what the fuck is wrong with you you sick freak like we're out of here we don't even want to kill you anymore you're just fucking weird that was fantastic so leah's on record for enjoying the dog eating the keys um, yes what about a, a hummer with a license plate that says snake and with and a snake a in, the that fucking, a in the fucking in the cab of the yeah man that's great like you know what what else do you need to like really up the ante God, of them know. like stealing a purple Hummer? Yeah, what is my problem? Like I, clearly, I, I, you're ne- uh, that to me that that's something you read in a book and you're like, that's fucking badass. Like I I liked that. <laughs> Let's. Uh, I feel like you're trying to stump us, Dave. I know. I, there's not there's not much about this movie where I could say like, yeah, that was unwarranted. Like I said, everyone was doing good work, but um, they just like. But it wasn't enough for Dave. Well, just, all the black people were like clowns and thugs, and it, it was just like I don't know. It, Wait, it was okay, just a bummer. Yeah, what except, was, except for the cop. What was what was up with like the roving gangs of of like uh, of like car boosters that were just like you know like yeah. where where the other dude the guys in like in was like that, bandanas was and that Master P also? Wait, was that Master I P? Think I think it was. I didn't rec- I didn't recognize yeah. him. Yeah, that's, that's Master P. So funny. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. I understand why all of the gangs that came up to them were all super violent and of course people of color and they were just kind of nerds that were like i don't know what's going on you know what's going on and then they get hit and then someone comes in and rescues them or something happens where they don't you know end up getting killed and it just didn't that was kind of weird yeah i mean there's there's this there's this weird like gross undertone to the scene where master p is like you know he's going to kill the uh nick cage and giovanni rabisi and then Vinnie Jones just explodes their car and starts that was just so sick. beating he, down all the... Uh, he stuck just a Molotov cocktail like hanging out the window yeah. and just sets that shit on fire and walks away as it that. blows up behind him. That, I mean, that was cool. It was it was awesome. It was an awesome action moment, but just like, I was just like, ugh, like, 
I, I don't know. I mean, again, my brain, I was turning on the wrong parts of my brain and I, and I should have been turning them off. Uh, it, I think that part in particular, if it hadn't been Sphinx's character, it would have, it wouldn't have worked at all. But the fact that he was so low key and yeah. weird and kind of just like the, the silent guy that comes and does really fucked up things and then just kind of stares, you know, morbidly. I thought that was really fitting that he wanted out of nowhere did that. Yeah, it it worked. Again, it it wasn't a bum note. It didn't work. It didn't make the movie. I don't know. It was fine. It was all fine. Um, this this movie. Um, I, I think again, like we said, it's not a Nick Cage movie. It's it's kind of a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. Um, yeah. And a lot of people don't even, like. They they think Jerry Bruckheimer directed Con Air or or even The Rock. Um, and the, this same with this movie, but the, the director was this guy named, uh, Dominic, Dominic Senna, Senna, yeah. um, whose other work, he did a movie called California with, uh, with a K with, uh, Brad Pitt <laughs> in the early nineties that I saw in high school and enjoyed. So I don't know what that means, but, um, <laughs> but he also, he also did swordfish. Uh, oh yeah, that makes sense. Which makes a lot of sense. And, and season of the witch with, um, Nick Cage and Jerry Bruckheimer later on. <laughs> so we, we have that to look forward to and a bunch of music videos. Those like his, his thing. Music um, videos I can definitely see. Yeah. The soundtrack was great. The soundtrack was very 2000. I yeah, think it like kicks into like a Moby song pretty pretty early on. I think it, it fit yeah. the movie very well. It worked. Yeah. There's also uh, DMX. Yeah, that's right. Prominent DMX um, mm. that um, stopped the rock. I enjoyed it. I don't know, guys. Um, what what else is there to say? <laughs> uh, let me look at my notes. I really liked his relationship with Eleanor. Yeah, I I mean that was kind of the most affecting relationship in the movie. Yeah, I, I think that's the point. Eleanor being the the car that uh, he, he didn't do it for the money, steal. he did it for the cars. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think there's something interesting about the whole like the whole mentality that at least Cage has in some of the other boosters on his team. Like Duvall does definitely, but the the way that he the way that they take like an almost zen approach. Yeah. You know, like you have to be one with the car. Right. You and know him, what I mean? Him him talking to the car and, and uh, you know, and, and yeah, I, I, I related to that. I, I even wrote down um, a quote. I, I, I want to read it. I didn't do it for the money. I did it for the cars. Gleaming and marina blue, sunfire yellow, Marlboro red, begging to be plucked. And I'd do it. I'd boost her and just blast to Palm Springs, instantly feeling better about being me. And then the next day, it seems like I'm getting shot at. My friends are going to jail. I didn't like what I'd become. It's deep. I wrote that one down too. I thought it was great. I really loved the imagery. It was uh, very poetic. It was convincing too. You you hear him saying that and you're like, yeah, wow, he wasn't in it for the money. I, yeah, I guess I I would also like to blast to Palm Springs and um, in a boosted car, in a boosted car and just feel good about being me. It sounds pretty good. Um, Apparently, when this movie opened, police all over the u.s uh were like really freaked out that it was going to uh cause car jackings to go up and, and car and it and it did it did <laughs> that's yeah that's so good yeah <laughs> like there was even uh, there was even a, a gang caught years later in like 2008 or something that called themselves the gone in 60 seconds gang <laughs> oh my god yeah um so i you so know there's a lot of fans out there you know, I, 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 here's something I will say for the movie that I appreciate it, it is that it, it makes car boosting look cool and it doesn't moralize it 
in any way. Like that, that Nick Cage speech is like the closest that it comes to moralizing it, which is just to say that he was doing it, but then it got too complicated and, and it lost the, the, the fun of why he did it. Yeah. Which so like stopped, which I, and I don't, I, I hate it when movies try to have their cake and eat it too, in the sense of like being like, isn't this so fun and cool doing illegal stuff, but actually illegal stuff is wrong. Like there, yeah, no, there was a lot of morals in it. No, it, it was just, you know, they were, re- these people are really good at doing this thing that is illegal, understandably. And, um, they, you, you know, they, a lot of them have gone straight because it's too complicated to do the thing you love when it's like blatantly illegal, but they have a good reason to do it. So they do it. Well, and I think there was also, there was an interesting part where they're, they're boosting the car to the garage and then the like Cholo comes up to them and he sticks the gun through the window and he tries to jack the stolen car from them. And then the guy gets out and he like, he basically like, you know, like knocks the gun out yeah. of his hand and like punches him out. And then he says, I don't remember the exact he, words, but he like, says something like- you need a role like, model. Yeah, yeah, That was yeah. my favorite moment. Well, and, that, one, that part was really good. He was he was embarrassed by his attempt to jump Yeah, cars. right. Like, yeah. You're coming up to me. It was almost like you're insulting my intelligence, my expertise as a carjacker with this pathetic attempt. Well, like- yeah the line he says is it's easy to pull a gun on someone right learn how to do the job the right way or something like i'm paraphrasing but it was like something like that and and that's that's cool you know the sense of community and camaraderie at least within their like uh, you know and i guess respect like professional respect uh in their little carjacking community that that reads Mm -hmm. um that's cool all right so we we loved this movie (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> sure, Dave. So, uh, so Leah, besides loving this movie, you also love astrology, and um, you wrote that down, didn't you? I didn't. I I would have wrote something better down. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't work on this transition at all. Well, why don't we let just why don't we let her intro- introduce the transition? Then? Okay, yeah, it's your thing, right? Well, I think that this movie is a perfect example of like a lot of elements in his chart because he is, there he is. So he is um, a Capricorn. His son is in Capricorn. And that I felt was shown in, I wanted him to be, um, take himself a little bit less serious in this movie. Cause I felt like he was trying too hard to be like the cool action guy. And I, it just didn't really feel right for me, but yeah, actually I, I, I'm so sorry to derail you. Um, but the, the, the one part that I really loved when he went into the dealership pretending to be, I was going to bring that up. I thought that that would have been your favorite thing. It, it was, it was great. And, and something I've noticed, uh, about when Nick Cage really like lets himself get really silly is when he's playing a character who is acting when his character mm-hmm. is playing a character he like he lets it he 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 takes it to a really bizarre place which is why vampire's kiss is so insane because the whole movie his character is pretending to be another character in a in a sense right. and um and i've noticed that again and again and yeah so that that moment really shown to me yeah i really liked that moment so yeah his um his rising sign which is kind of you know the first impression that people get from you it's also like what they would call a soul mission it's it's what we're what we come across to someone is when we first meet them but it's also um it's who we it's who we are like at our core is Sagittarius and that's really fitting for Nick Cage in my opinion because he's so jovial like he's so um just I mean silly in my opinion so you've got this like you know sun and capricorn that's like yeah i'm uh i'm competent you know business oriented and i'm sturdy and all this stuff and then you have your his rising which is sagittarius which is like actually i want to fuck around a little bit and i want to do these things and i want to make light of things and have fun with it and what's really interesting given all of his action films is that um with having uh sagittarius rising his Jupiter, which is the planet that um, rules Sagittarius, is in Aries. And that is the most, I mean, it's just, it's so fun seeing the pieces come together when you see someone's career and then you see their astrology chart. Because 
<laughs> Whatever Jupiter touches, it expands. That's what Jupiter does. And then you have it in the sign of Aries, which is impulsive. <laughs> and then you have it in, um, oh, it's Jupiter's in his, in his fourth house. So basically, I just love his chart so much because he... <laughs> He does everything in he has no idea what moderation means as a as a human being and he wants to be first a lot that's a that's a very aries thing wanting to be first and wanting to do something fast and you think it's a good idea and so you're just going to do it and you're not really going to listen to anyone else um and then jupiter expands everything it touches so the amount of action movies he's made the amount of um not that wise purchases that he's made like so much of his life has been expanding in ways that everyone has said maybe don't and he said well fuck it i'm gonna do it anyway and (laughs) i just i just think that it's really funny especially given that his chart ruler is in the fourth house so he grew up with money you know he grew up in an affluent family and he wanted to kind of get away from that, but make a name for himself still, you know, like he changed his name um, so that he wouldn't be associated with his family so that he could try to make it as an actor. And so I feel like when he's defending his decision to make this movie or to make action movies, he's saying, you don't see what I put into it. You just see the outcome. The most important part about his you know career for him is what he does behind the scenes like going and taking the driving um courses so that he can do all his action scenes like you know going into um whatever it is like he goes into that and he does it with such a passion that it's like that's that's the most important part to him so people don't take him seriously and then he gets mad because he's like well i'm doing this seriously can't you see that i'm doing this seriously but um yeah that defensiveness i think comes from uh the fear of being reflected back to his family like I don't want to be a failure in that way but I also don't want to be associated with them so like don't associate me with my with my upbringing like take me seriously um because I put all this work in at the end of the day but people don't see that they just see me as you know kind of silly because that's kind of the shtick that he has that's really interesting so you also you looked at Miles and I's charts in um, (laughs) comparison with his right Uh, yeah I did. Any and, insight? Yeah, I found I found something fun. Um, so both of you have a connection with Nick Cage um, that, that I'm sure that you're aware of just intrinsically. Like you just feel very drawn to him. But um, his uh, his chart ruler again, like I said, is in Jupiter, um, and it's in Aries, and it's at 11 degrees. And what you and Miles and Nick Cage have in common is that you also have placements at 11 degrees of Aries in your, both of your charts. Both of you have your North Node, which is our path in this life. South Node is what we already learned, the lessons we already learned from a past life. Um, North Node is what we want to accomplish in this life. When people have connections to your North Node, they bring you closer to who you want to be. So <laughs> Nick Cage... His chart ruler is um, conjunct, which means it's making an exact connection to both of your north nodes in your chart, uh-huh. which makes a lot of sense given that you have a podcast dedicated to him and you're obsessed with his life. <laughs> yeah, that, that lines up. <laughs> oh, man. So when I saw that, I just I, – I felt really excited to share that with you guys because – that's just that's just magic. But what's also interesting too is that his Chiron, which is this wound, um, it's an asteroid that means it's kind of like this wounded healer um, sort of thing. And his Chiron is placed in Pisces. And I don't know if everyone's aware, but Dave is a Pisces, and <laughs> Nick Cage's Chiron is at the exact same degree as Dave's son in Pisces. What does that mean? So what that means is that there's a healing connection there. When someone touches your Chiron, there's usually a healing connection there. You feel connected to them in some ways. And with it being connected to your son, I think you wanted to explore the wounds, preconceived or not, in his identity that maybe connect to yours and find a common bond there. I did. And I am. <laughs> and you are. Oh, my God. 
I, I, I know that looking at someone's natal chart is sort of just a, a portrait of them and not really, it's, it's hard to extrapolate uh, about the future, but, um, does you said that his, uh, his, his desire to, or his impulsiveness and like, um, that he's bad with money, like lines up with kind of how, how his career and life has gone. But, um, it, it, is there any sense of kind of what he, what his purpose is in this life and what he, what's in his future, I guess. He's got a lot in his chart that's really interesting and he's got a lot of purpose in there. One of the things that I think is really interesting is that his, um, his South node. Um, so again, that's past life is in his first house and it is, yeah, his South node is in Capricorn. So it's in the same sign as his son and it rises before his son. So it's, you know, his son is a, 16 degrees his um whereas the south node is at 11 degrees and his mercury is at nine degrees so mercury and the south node rise before his sun and i guess what you could take that as is that in a past life he was combining so much of communication and mercurial talent like he was just collecting things and he was um he was a lot more um he was a lot more like business oriented and so his so his uh, north node in this life is actually in his seventh house, and it's in Cancer. And so he's had to make a lot to get away from the business side, which I think is his family. It's his family roots. Having it in his first house, I believe, is connecting to the fact that people are like, well, you came from money. You came from this family that has a lot of talent. You came from, um, like, you know, how are we supposed to take you seriously? And so he's had to move more towards his uh, seventh house North node in cancer, which is saying, I feel this. These are my emotions. These are how I'm connecting with people in my work. This is um, the amount of like tenacity that I'm showing here. Like, please take me for this and not for my past or my family and that type of thing. So in this life, his struggle is to be taken seriously as an artist. And that's what he's been. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely to be taken seriously as an artist. And I think that's why he's so defensive too. I mean, he has, he also has his moon in Libra. So he wants everyone to get along. He wants to get along with people. He wants to connect with people in a way that, um, you know, he doesn't really like conflict, but then, you know, he, he's going to, he's going to say, Hey, like I'm actually doing this for this reason. And he's going to argue with people because he wants to be known for that instead of, um, I mean, (laughs) something that's come up again and again in his, uh, it, it, in like looking at his life up to this point is he sort of vacillates between fetishizing uh, domesticity and this idea of like settling down and, but then also sort of being a person with a wild side and yeah, driving fast cars and and buying uh, pyramids and whatever, but, Mm -hmm. um, and dinosaur eggs, dinosaur, yeah, dinosaur eggs and, and shit. And, um, and almost trying to find like a balance uh, between them. That's pretty evident in his chart. He has um, his son in Capricorn square his chart ruler in Sagittarius. Um, so again, Jupiter expands. That's going to make him um, really enthusiastic and optimistic, you know, broad-minded. Like he wants to do things in a large measure, obviously. Um, and it's a lot of self-confidence, but, um, you know, it can it can kind of give him a bloated ego. <laughs> And it can kind of get him in situations where he's further away from uh, where he wants to be. And that's that's where he kind of has to rein himself back in because he's been he's been married quite a few times and he's uh, wanted to you know kind of be domestic. But he never really had connections to those people um, that he married. I was looking at their charts, too. It was more of like, you know this is an attraction. Um, this is a desire to connect with these people again, his moon and Libra. So he wants, he wants partnership ultimately. Right. Um, his descendant, which is the seventh house, which is, um, all connected to, um, projection and relationships with others and, um, open enemies too is in Gemini. So that's going to be someone that might kind of vacillate in between like, do I really want to be in a partnership or do I not want to be in a partnership? Do I, you know, is this fitting, is this fitting my role? And then on top of that, he's got a Venus Saturn aspect. So Venus Saturn aspects make love hard. 
Um, they make love serious, but they make love hard. Most of the time, if you have Venus Saturn aspects, um, you tend to maybe not marry until like at least you're 30, like usually after a Saturn return, or you can just have a really difficult time because you take things so seriously and maybe, um, other people don't take things seriously in love. Like, um, given that his Venus is an Aquarius and Aquarius is ruled by, uh, Uranus and Uranus is all about like eccentricity. It's all about like, let's find something new. Let's find something fun. Let's do something that's really out there. So Venus and Aquarius is like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do all this shit. But it's making an aspect to Saturn. Um, it's conjunct Saturn and Saturn is saying, well, let's hold back there for a second. Like this isn't really serving you. Like this isn't, you know, you got to take this more seriously or, you know, people aren't going to take you seriously maybe. And so I think that there is, um, you know, a fundamental disconnect there. It's, it's similar, Dave, you have Venus and Capricorn. So you can probably relate to um, Nick here with that difficulty because Capricorn is ruled by Saturn. And so it's kind of similar to having a Venus Saturn aspect. There's this not rid, not, I, wanna, I don't want to say it's rigid, but it's like, you just kind of think of things as a contract sometimes. So I, I looked at his <laughs> relationships and the, you know, they did kind of seem like contracts and they yeah. seemed um, almost like drug fueled and, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, he's about to break up with Patricia Arquette in our, our timeline. And, uh, that's oh, yeah. definitely a, a weird kind of like contract marriage. It seems like where they were like, this is right because we lived in weird showbiz families and we just, we want connections and we want to settle down and this is what that is. Right. We're good. We're happy. Yeah. Right. But yeah. No. I saw that as almost like a royal family arranged marriage between them, like almost like yeah, but they you know, did it themselves. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it, they did it themselves, but it was kind of like you see what I've been through. I see. Yeah. What you've been let's call it a day. You know, let's get a house. Let's right. get a castle let's or whatever. have a have a kid. Yeah, they they literally had a castle. Yeah, and let's let's <laughs> let's do that. They have a lot of oppositions between. I don't remember exactly, but I I remember there was a lot of polarizing connections between their charts, which again is attraction. Um, oppositions don't mean a bad thing, but oppositions not dealt with are going to lead to divorce because it's like, well, at some point, the same things that attracted you to a person are going to repel you in the end. Or if there's not a strong foundation and it's just you know, based on like attraction, family history and stuff like that, then that's, <laughs> that's not really solid ground either. But yeah, ultimately he has some afflictions there because, um, he, I don't know, I guess, I, I think it's just really interesting because how fun to have Venus and Aquarius that's like all out there and then to have it, you know, aspecting Saturn that's like, okay, no, bring it back. And then to have um, his moon in Libra, which is like, well, I want partnership. But then to have Gemini in the seventh house, which is like, do I want partnership? How many partnerships do I want? Maybe I want more than one partnership. Let's see what happens here. It's a lot of vacillating in between air energy, which is kind of flaky. Um, air energy can be really flaky and it can um, just kind of uh, be detached and intellectual too. So I could see him being maybe a little too detached in his relationships um, where they wanted more from him. And maybe maybe it's kind of funny because it's like, well, you give so much to these roles. Why don't you give any, anything to me? Like, where's the feeling? Where's the emotion? But um, yeah, that, that's just how Nick is. Well, that's fascinating. Thank you for, for doing that. Um, yeah. And um, if, do you, uh, if anybody else wants an astrological reading, do you want to plug yourself? Um, sure. I mean... I don't have a site at the moment, but my Instagram is wine seller. If you want to shoot me a DM, I will happily do your chart. I am taking readings for the holiday season. If anyone wants uh, to tell their family members why they have issues, you can definitely contact me. I and think everyone for- wants to tell their families why they have issues. <laughs> right. So that's why I'm letting you know I yeah. can do it for you. I can make your dreams come true in the form of a <laughs> I can just say for anyone on the fence... Um, I've had I've had a lot of things explained by getting my chart uh, broken down, and uh, yeah. and so you know yeah again I think it's I think it's I think it can be more useful than some people initially think it is yeah so, it's it's very I think if, if nothing else even if you're not necessarily a believer in astrology there's so many tools that you can use to understand yourself yeah and have fun with that and I mean just the fact that you guys have that connection to Nick Cage in both of your charts I. 
was reading that and I'm like, you know, like you can't make this up. It's not like, a I coincidence. No. Right. Yeah. It's not a coincidence. And well, that's what that's what I'm going to tell him when I finally have stalked and tracked him down and say that we are cosmically connected. When you've when you've stalked his son enough Correct. to get close to him. <laughs> when I've stalked Weston enough, I'm like, my son is at the exact same degree as your father's Chiron, and I <laughs> have been studying his life and telling strangers about it on the internet, and I need to meet him now. Right. Well, that can be explained by Dave's Pluto in the seventh house, which is very obsessive. And his connections with others so everything that? has yeah a connection yeah well weston weston will be delighted to learn about that too i'm sure yeah yeah <laughs> we could we could send him something in the mail too i'm sure <laughs> cool well um thank you so much leah yeah of course um and Thanks for having me it was a lot of fun i um i'm glad that you hated the movie and then changed your mind because we convinced you how great it was yeah that it's the best movie ever it's actually the best yeah <laughs> yeah don't go in 60 seconds stay forever yeah. i, I stay at least another 60 seconds at least well give me at least 120 seconds yeah. <laughs> we're this was the last film before our designated uh tipping point of quality uh, because next <laughs> next time we're going to be talking about the family man, just right in right in time <laughs> for Christmas. What, and what a tipping point it is! No, I know, Dave. I actually noticed that that we completely accidentally perfectly lined up doing the family man during the holiday season. Yeah, it's almost like we were better at this than we are. Uh, actually, it, it, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as if something astrologically <laughs> lined it up perfectly for I would, us. I would, oh, I would say so. Well, um, uh, oh, one last, one last fun fact. Um, Miles, you have your Venus and Aquarius as well. Really? You do. So you huh. love in the same way that Nick Cage loves. I do. Yeah. So you understand his romantic afflictions and his love and you have that connection too. I do. I yeah. do. I, you take him and his love for his work and everything very seriously. Of course. I mean, there's no other way to do it. I wouldn't be yeah. able to do this podcast if I wasn't taking it seriously. No, I, th I, I think we, we, uh, and I think that's where you where that that's where we succeed when some other cage casts, uh, fail, fail. Yeah. It's because we actually take even his, uh, his cosmic path. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we were interested in his eternal, his internal life. Um, and, and we take his career seriously as an artist. And I think yeah. once, uh, you know, when, when all culture is weighed at the end of time and, and, uh, that they are addressing all of the different Nicolas Cage podcasts that inexplicably exist. Um, I think ours will shine the brightest. Yeah, I would, I would pretty much guarantee that. I mean, based off what I see personally in the stars. <laughs> well, awesome. You heard it here first. I do want to go ahead and backtrack. I think during our eight millimeter episode, yeah. uh, I think I I defended the number twenty three a little too <laughs> too much. Um, I tried I tried rewatching it uh -huh. like a couple weeks like two uh -huh. weeks ago or something, and I couldn't get through more than like half an hour of it. Okay. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I was wrong. It's about good to this know. One. People change, man. I forgive you. <laughs> It's hard. Like Jim Carrey is really charismatic, so you he know. Is. I think it kind of it kind of dilutes it. Also, in the twenty million dollar uh, salary club at this point, um, that's just a just a fun fact. I wonder how much Schumacher had to throw at him for that. Hey, remember when you were the Riddler? We had such good times. <laughs> Let's work again. <laughs> Have I got a script for you? <laughs> <laughs>